0: Welcome to the Mormons and Drugs podcast, a weekly podcast wherein I discuss the shockingly frequent intersections of Mormonism, magic, and drugs. I am Cody, the not so out of work prep cook anymore. I'm I'm prep cooking again, so now I'm Cody, the prep cook, history fan, ranty host, (laughs) Nakoni. Joining me, uh, as always, is my co-host and producer, Moth Dula. Hey, how you doing, Moth? Same as you barely barely holding on. Yeah. Yeah. Um we're getting a, to a point in the narrative where it's difficult to recap at the beginning of each episode. So if you're new or perhaps finding yourself a bit lost uh a few minutes in, please go back and listen to things in order because it helps a lot with this particular podcast. This episode is a tangential rant where I rant about whatever I feel like at the time. We'll be dealing with the contents of the Book of Mormon. We're kind of at this nice sweet spot where uh, in the narrative, uh, Joseph has just printed the Book of Mormon, and he's just about to start the church. So this is a great time to talk about all the crazy, crazy nonsense that's in the Book of Mormon. I'm call- scared. <laughs> it is scary. It's going to get dark real quick. Um, I like to call Joseph's um, work a 19th century fan fiction, Yeah. Uh, because it's... I mean, Jules Verne is kind of the official mark of like the birth of science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I think Joseph was kind of working through a Christian fan fiction lens. But mm-hmm. his stuff is very science fictiony, and as yeah. we'll see, racist in in space. Yeah, <laughs> just racist racism in space. In space. Yeah, it's, instead of Jews in space, it's like Nazis in space. Uh, oh, Nazi oh, gods in space. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> it does get gross. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just don't know. No. So
1: I... Uh, Unless we're shooting them off into space without a helmet.
0: Well, as you'll see, <laughs> uh, there, there is a section of... The reason the Earth is hollow in Gor- Mormon cosmology is because God took a section of the Earth out and then sent it off into space. And so there's just a floating island in space full of Jews. Uh- Yep, you heard me. Okay. That's right. (laughs) right. We'll get there. Um, Hmm. Mormons are often told that the Book of Mormon is the most true, factually correct book ever written on the face of the earth. Yeah. Um, And to back this point up, I just have a few um, quotes that I'd like to share with all of you. First being from Joseph Smith himself. Quote, I told the brethren that the Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on earth and the keystone of our religion. And a man would get nearer to God by abiding its precepts than by any other book, unquote. And this is very much what I grew up hearing. More recently, uh, President or Prophet Gordon B. Hinckley uh, said, quote, We have nothing to hide. Our history is an open book. They may find what they are looking for, but the fact is, the history of the church is clear and open and leads to faith and strength and virtues, unquote. I think as we've seen in the narrative episode so far, that's not entirely the case. Uh, just one more. President J. Reuben Clark, quote, if we have the truth, it cannot be harmed by investigation. Quite true. If we have not the truth, it ought to be harmed, unquote. So it's kind of the spirit of my, <laughs> my work. That's okay. yeah. why I'm in this. Yeah. God, I got so many. I'm going to do two more. Some say that they do not know whether it is best to expose such things or not. Yes, drag them into the daylight all the time and let every man be known for what he is, unquote. That was from President John Taylor. These are all prophets of the Mormon.
1: Okay, I was going to say presidents of what?
0: Uh, Presidents of the Mormon Church or prophets. Uh, And this is from Brigham Young, uh, the namesake of Brigham Young University. Hmm. Quote, I will tell you who the real fanatics are. They are those who adopt false principles and ideals as facts and try to establish a superstructure upon (laughs) a false foundation. Really? If our religion is of such a character, we want to know it. We would like to find a philosopher who can prove it to us. Um... and I think as we've seen in the narrative <laughs> episodes there's been a number of philosophers who've been attempting from the beginning a bunch beginning. of
1: people are like raising their hands and he's like who, who, who? who's a- gonna do that and they're yes. all like right here, right here I- I
0: can't- anyone <laughs> anyone <laughs>
1: right here sir, my hand's up
0: <laughs> literally the whole congregation sir <laughs> Um. so yeah, the, you know uh, Eber D. Howe, uh, Ezra Booth Elastus Hurlbut Uh, Gerald and Sandra Tanner, Dan Vogel, who I quote from regularly, Mm -hmm. uh, many, many, many more. One such early philosopher was actually none other than Mark Twain, who satirically reviewed both the Book of Mormon and Mormonism in general while passing through Mormon territory uh, in Utah around 1870. I love his review of Mormonism. He's not my favorite author, but this is probably one of my favorite pieces of his writing, Uh, and I may be biased, but well, I'm going to read you a bunch of it. And it's just beautiful Mark Twain-ism. Okay. In his book, Roughing It, Mark Twain wrote of the Book of Mormon, quote, The book is a curiosity to me. It is such a pretentious affair and yet so slow, so sleepy, such an insepid mess of inspiration. It is chloroform in print. Oh, shit. <laughs> if Joseph Smith composed the book, the act was a miracle. Keeping awake while he did it was, at any rate, <laughs> oh, damn. if he, according to tradition, merely translated it from certain ancient and mysteriously engraved plates of copper, which he declares he found under a stone in an out-of-the-way locality, the work of translating was equally a miracle for this same reason. <laughs> so he opens up with just a uh, some shade, shade, shade. Uh, The book seems to be merely a prosy detail of imaginary history, with the Old Testament for a model, followed by a tedious plagiarism of the New Testament. The author labored to give his words and phrases the quaint, old-fashioned sound and structure of our King James translation of the scriptures, and the result is a mongrel, half-modern glibness, half-ancient simplicity and gravity. The latter is awkward and constrained. The former, natural, but grotesque by the contrast. Uh, What he's saying here is like Joseph wrote the Book of Mormon in uh, 16th century vernacular to Mm -hmm. make it sound like the King James Bible. Mm -hmm. But by the 1800s, they spoke radically different English at that point. And people like Mark Twain, who read a lot of books, Mm -hmm. was like, hey, uh, I see what you're doing here. It's a clever uh, use uh, as a writer, you know, to create an atmosphere, but... (laughs) It's You You do it really badly. Um, so uh, back to Mark Twain's quote. Whenever he found his speech growing too modern, which was about every sentence or two, he ladled in a, a few such scriptural phrases such as uh, exceedingly sore and it came to pass, etc. and made things satisfactory again. And it came to pass was his pet. If he had left that out, his Bible would have only been a pamphlet. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> which is my it's Ooh. if you anyone's read the book of mormon literal like almost every other verse starts with and it came to pass hmm. uh, which is a nice read on it it seems a pity that he did not finish for after all his dreary former chapters of commonplace he stopped just as he was in danger of becoming interesting the mormon bible is rather stupid and tiresome to read <laughs> but there is nothing vicious in its teachings unquote oh okay so he, um, this is coming from Mark Twain, a noted uh, racist, racist of the late 1800s. Yeah, yeah, so, so the racism part of Mormonism that I'm going to get to, I think, is is uh, quite vicious in its teachings. Right. the, the <laughs> but bar is low. The bar is pretty low coming from yeah. Mark Twain. Yeah. Um, so additionally, uh, Alexander Campbell, the founder of the religion that Sidney Ridden was working with before he converted to Mormonism, uh, wrote another such review of the book of mormon. I don't think we've met Sidney Rigdon mm-hmm. in the narrative episodes yet, but mm-hmm. that'll probably be coming out right up. Anyway, the big the first big influx of converts to mormonism came when Sidney Rigdon and his congregation joined the church. Okay. Sidney Rigdon was a Campbellite preacher and was he He's cannibal preacher? Campbell Campbellite?
1: <laughs> he really likes soup?
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think it has any relation to the soup <laughs> brand but uh alexander campbell was a famous pre- like baptist preacher and Signe Rigdon was one of his early followers okay. who kind of they they fell apart and then while he was in this state of like i don't know which church i'm just a preacher uh-huh. uh he met the mormon the first mormon missionaries okay. and then his whole congregation essentially joined mormonism okay. so <laughs> because of that alexander campbell was like i want to read that And he read the Book of Mormon and gave one of the first critiques of it as well. Okay. This is from his work. Quote The Prophet Smith, through his stone spectacles, wrote on the plates of Nephi in his Book of Mormon, every error and almost every truth discussed in New York for the last ten years. He decides all the great controversies, such as infant baptism, ordination, the Trinity, regeneration, repentance, justification of the fall of man, the atonement, transubstantiation, fasting, penance, church government, religious experience, the call to ministry, the general resurrection, eternal punishment, who may baptize, and even the question of Freemasonry, Republican government, and the rights of man. All these topics are repeatedly alluded to, how much more benevolent and intelligent the American apostle than the Holy Twelve and Paul who assists them. He prophesied of all these topics and the apostasy and the infallibility decides by his authority every question. So he's saying Joseph retroactively wrote this book that supposedly gives all these prophecies about how <laughs> the future's going to go. And, of course, he, would like, Texas sharpshoots. He basically just, like, shoots holes and then puts a target around them. It's like, see, up. I, I wrote this book and there's all these prophecies in it. And those prophecies came true. So this is a pretty true book. And even people who were reading it at the time were like, it's really miraculous that you literally decide every Christian controversy that exists. So it would be like somebody today, just like, here's a book that I revelated and uh, – you know it's all all those issues all the abortion gay rights all the race all the all the stuff that you guys have an argument about there's an answer in this book so uh come follow me and my religion (laughs) and you'll be good christians
1: yeah that doesn't happen today at all
0: not at all (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of joseph smiths rolling around um i'm gonna keep quoting from this because it's it's just fun The book professes to be written at intervals and by different persons during the long period of 1,020 years. And yet for uniformity of style, there never was a book more evidently written by one set of fingers (laughs) or more certainly conceived in one cranium since the first book appeared in human language than this same book. (laughs) If I could swear to any man's voice, face or person, assuming different names, I could swear that this book was written by one man. So uh, much like the Bible, the Book of Mormon is written in a series of chapters yeah. that are um, given in the different perspective of each of the the people writing them. Right. Uh, and he's saying that, you know, if That's it spans a, hundred, a thousand not. and twenty years, there should be some variance in narrative <laughs> and there's not. Um <laughs> And as Joseph Smith is a very ignorant man and is called the author on the title page, I cannot doubt for a single moment that he is the sole author and proprietor of it. As a specimen of his style, the reader will take the following samples. Page fourth. In his own preface, quote, The plates of which hath been spoken, unquote. In the last page, the plates of which hath been spoken. In the certain signed by Cowdery and his two witnesses, he has the same idiom, which has come from the tower of which hath been spoken. So he's saying, like, the statement that was prepared by Smith is using the same language of the Book of Mormon. It's really not hard to notice these things. (laughs) But it's surprising that people today even don't. Um, Continuing on. It is patched up and cemented with, and it came to pass, I saith unto you, (laughs) ye saideth unto him, and the King James hath dids and doths in the lowest imitation of the common version and is without exaggeration, the meanest book in the English language. But it is a translation made through stone spectacles in a dark room in the hat of a prophet Smith and the reformed Egyptian. It has not one good sentence in it, save the profanation of those sentences quoted from the oracles of the living God. He's saying it's it, there's no good sentences in it except the ones he plagiarized from the book (laughs) from the Bible. Um, I would as soon compare a bat to the American eagle, a mouse to the mammoth, or the deformities of a specter to the beauties of him who John saw in Patmos, as to contrast it with a single chapter in all the writings of Jewish or Christian prophets. It is as certainly Smith's fabrication as Satan is the father of lies or the darkness of the offspring of night. So much for the internal evidences of the Book of Mormon. Uh, As we've covered in some detail during the narrative episodes, it's pretty clear that the Book of Mormon was a fabrication of Joseph Smith. As Campbell and Twain both rightly observed, it's a vain attempt at answering contemporary hot-button questions of antebellum Christianity written by an intelligent, if uneducated, occultist farm boy. I, I like to refer to it, like I said, as 19th century Christian fan fiction for this very reason. And like I said, before Jules Verne and the accepted beginning of sci-fi fantasy, Joseph Smith quietly proved himself a predecessor to Christianized fantasy works like Narnia uh, or Ender's Game. I don't care if you somehow find philosophical or spiritual insight in the Book of Mormon. I don't personally see how, but whatever. But fiction, it certainly is. And in no way any different from the philosophical or spiritual insight I garner from maybe like the works of Tolkien. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think there's a great uh, uh, Patton Oswald joke about, you know, I read comic books. That's cool. You think I'm crazy because I think a guy has swords that come out of his fist. But have you read the Bible? <laughs> there's a the guy that lives in a fish for three days. <laughs> so in that spirit, let's address some of the more fantastical aspects of the canonized Mormon scripture. Uh, one question plaguing Americans in the 17 and 1800s were where did all the Native Americans come from? Because, you know, in using biblical logic, because the Bible is 100% fact, as you know, uh, given that Noah survived the biblical flood and then repopulated the rest of the world afterwards, who did the Native American inhabitants uh, descend from? Uh, Joseph, you know, that didn't, wasn't addressed in the Bible. Right. Whereas, like, the people who inhabited Asia and Africa and all that was kind of addressed in the Bible and who Noah's descendants were kind of traveled to different parts of the world and then started new civilizations Uh, that, but the native Americans were like a black hole because they didn't know about them. Well, they didn't know about America. Yeah. So, um, so Joseph's Christian fan fiction was like the backbone narrative was largely an answer to that question along with some philosophical or textual clarifications, uh, to similarly, disputed Christian dogma. Uh, following the fall of the Tower of Babel, uh, so like it was this skyscraper to heaven that was built after the flood. So just a few generations after the flood and everything was starting to become repopulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Bible, a bunch of people were going to like, hey, we'll build a tower that's so tall if, the God, if God ever floods the earth again, like we can just climb this tower and it'll literally reach heaven. And um, to confound the uh, building project, Uh, God basically cursed all the builders with different languages so they couldn't understand each other. And that's where all the different languages come from in the Bible. Oh, So, like, the the tower card in tarot Mm -hmm. is the Tower of Babel, or it's supposed to represent the Tower of Babel or that incident.
1: Oh, interesting. Um,
0: It's the folly of man thinking that they can... Outsmart. uh, Outsmart God. God. So... Uh, in what the Book of Mormon approximates to about 2500 to 2200 BCE, because remember the Mormons are Christian and they think the earth is 6,000 years old, 2500 to 2200 BCE, a priest and ancestor of Noah named Jared is led by God to escape the chaos that ensues the fall of the Tower of Babel and all the, everybody's language becoming confused. After fleeing into the wilderness, Jared and his band of refugees build wooden submarines under the divine architectural uh, inspiration of God. So much in the same way of Joseph, Jared, this prophet, just gets this like, um, like the Matrix. He's like, I need plans for a submarine. I mean, I know how to build submarines. Nice. Um, I'm
1: impressed with their knowledge of architecture and engineering and well, it, mathematics again and you,
0: it kind of speaks to joseph's uh for the sci-fi bent oh, yeah. when it's it it mirrors the matrix <laughs> but in the 19th century he mm-hmm. literally needs i need plans for a wooden submarine <laughs> he just gets them mm-hmm. um so they carry farm animals food bees bees <laughs> And many other uh, impractical items with them inside of these wooden submarines, which are then carried miraculously by God, largely underwater, but with with like brief returns to the surface where they like open the tops and they all get to breathe out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) And they go all the way from Palestine to the Americas in this like wooden submarine method.
1: We
0: Um, all live in a wooden submarine. Yes, we all live in a wooden submarine. Uh, in order to light the insides of these barges, uh, God touches some stones and makes rock lamps for the insides of these barges. And Joe's magic spectacles that no one ever really saw that he uh, was given explicitly for, but somehow didn't use for <laughs> once for, to translate the plates. His
1: googly goggles?
0: Yeah, yeah. his googly goggles. Uh, they were carried to America by Jared and his family. Oh, so, Jared had them? Yeah, Jared had them, from, and he that's how old those magic specks were that he never apparently used
1: sweet so he's got glowing rocks
0: well no not the glowing rocks just they were carried with them and the type of weird shit that was going on in the wooden submarine was these glowing rocks that lit the insides
1: so Um, he does have glowing rocks no where the glowing rocks come i
0: don't know where the glowing rocks went but uh jared had to yeah
1: that's what i'm saying jared had glowing rocks in a submarine And googly goggles. And
0: googly goggles, yes, I'm sorry. With a
1: beehive.
0: With beehives in the submarines, yes. Um, Sounds fun. So next in the Book of Mormon, (laughs) we skip over nearly two millennia to a Jewish family in Israel uh, living in approximately 600 BCE uh, during the fall of King Nebuchadnezzar. This is an actual historical event that happened.
1: And this is in the book. Uh,
0: And this is where the narrative picks up. Okay, Um, So like... The Book of Jared, you find out about that in the middle of the Book of Mormon. There's just some people like in the middle of the Book of Mormon, there's just some people that find some records and they're like, Hey, we found some records of these other inhabitants that used to live in America and they were called Jaredites and blah, 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 blah. And this is how they came here. So it's not part of the main narrative, it's kind of like a side story, mm-hmm. but it happened before the main narrative begins. Does that make sense? That's why I mentioned it first, just for sake of continuity. But the actual Book of Mormon begins with this uh, Jewish family. Okay. And then they flashback. And then they eventually flashback, yes. So uh, they're living in Palestine during the fall of King Nebuchadnezzar, which is an actual historical event. And this is kind of where Joseph... It's like the fan fiction. Mm -hmm. I'm taking an actual thing that happened and twisting a narrative.
1: Yeah, that's why I love that book, the the last kingdom because it's all about vikings so he takes actual like events mixes it in mm-hmm. it's great
0: or like the myths of avalon or like all, all of the king arthur myths forever and always are probably about a thing that oh, happened yeah. or a series of things that actually happened in england and it's just like mythicized around mm-hmm. this like king arthur figure makes it yeah. extra fun Um, So, a descendant of the biblical Egyptian prophet Joseph, uh, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, Mm -hmm. that guy, uh, this family is a descendant of him. And this guy's name is Lehi. And Lehi is similarly warned of imminent destruction by God and is instructed to flee with his family before the destruction of Jerusalem so after gathering some linguistic artifacts and historical records on metal plates, which were written in the Egyptian that Lehi knows, this is the reformed Egyptian, uh, Lehi's family is joined by another family led by patriarch Ishmael to flee into the wilderness. So these two families hook up and kind of flee into the, uh, wilderness of Palestine.
1: What are the two families names? Uh,
0: the one family is led by Lehi. Okay. The other family is led by Ishmael. Okay. Um, and just as a coincidence, um, lehi's sons uh lehi all only has sons and ishmael only has daughters oh so they just that kind of solves that adam and eve thing where it's like where did somebody was sister fucking (laughs) kind of solves that yeah um this lehi is the one who wrote the lost 116 pages uh that martin harris lost or his wife burned so the the first book that got lost was the book of lehi Mm -hmm. and uh the breastplate that attached to joe's magical specs and the sword that joe's angels showed to the witnesses this part of the book of mormon is where those artifacts allegedly were sourced from so like in the opening chapters you see this breastplate you see the sword you see all these things that...
1: okay and they're fleeing this kingdom that's falling yes okay uh, Got their googly goggles and their sword in hand
0: uh-huh mm-hmm. and this brings us to nephi mm-hmm. lehi's eldest son who's like or not the eldest son uh, but he's like the most virtuous
1: yeah there's gotta be one
0: and he writes a short account of the same stuff that was in the book of Lehi because you know God is super Mm all-knowing and told Nephi to do that because he knew Joe Mm -hmm. was gonna fuck up in the future and lose it Yeah. Uh, so anyways after (laughs) settling in the wilderness Nephi is taught blacksmithing and smelting actually I'm gonna go back just a second so to illustrate that, when Joseph fucked up and lost the manuscript, mm-hmm. this was part of his spin or pivot out of that. was like, oh, you see, Lehi's son, who was with him the whole time, kind of summarized the same stuff. So if you did keep that manuscript and you're going to print it later, th- the wording is different, not because I'm making it up while I'm writing out of a hat, what but because it was literally a different guy telling
1: different it. Different perspective.
0: Although yeah. he tells it in the exact same narrative and voice that I do. Blah, blah, blah. Anyways, um, after settling in the wilderness, Nephi is taught blacksmithing and smelting by the grace of God, the matrix download. Oh, cool. And um, he then uses tools that he built to build a giant ship, which he similarly gets. uh, I need to know how to build a ship, uh, which he then sails. So he I need to know how to sail a ship. (laughs) And he just keeps getting matrix downloads. I know Kung Fu. (laughs) Uh, And then he and his family sail westward to the Americas. And when the families arrive, the evil and wicked brothers of Nephi, so there's like two good brothers, uh, Sam and Nephi, and then there's two bad brothers, Laman and Lemuel. Okay. When they arrive, uh, Laman and Lemuel, because of all the bad shit that they were doing, are cursed by God with a dark skin so that Nephi's descendants wouldn't fuck them or feel bad about murdering them. Because, <laughs> you know, 19th century racism we're dealing with. Um, <laughs> So thus creates uh, Joseph's concepts of righteous white Native Americans, or Nephites, and the bad, dark-skinned Native Americans, uh, which you see today. And so the reason why when uh, Europeans showed up in America and all they saw was bad, dark Native Americans was because all the bad, dark Native Americans had killed all the good white ones earlier.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm 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 relating this, and I feel like I have to keep uh, <laughs> qualifying my statements. For, this is not my feeling <laughs> these are my feelings. Um, this is just what's in the Book of Mormon. We'll get to the racism later. I'm just kind of lightly brushing over it to give you.
1: Do when you're like primer. in church, do they read from the book? Yes. Do they read these parts? Uh,
0: a lot of these parts have been heavily redacted or edited so that they don't read the same way so like in the 1830s version it says literally like i cursed them with a dark and loathsome skin so that you would find them repugnant or like it just literally is like these people are disgusting and i marked them out so you wouldn't have sex with them right and that you wouldn't feel bad about taking them as slaves or killing them because they're not good and i curse them because they're not good Mm mm-hmm <laughs> and they took and that they out. And they took that out to where it's like instead of white and delightsome, it says pure and delightsome. Mm.
1: Okay.
0: So a lot of this is coming from the original 1830s version of the Book of Mormon, which has mm-hmm. gone. And we'll get to this. Oh, I think
1: you told me a little bit about this because they were trying to get a bunch of Hawaiians, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get to this in the okay. racism episode. Okay. Yeah. But uh, a lot of this was basically the church doesn't do anything right unless financially pressured to do so. Um, And the racism stuff that they kind of had to publicly quietly deal with in the late 70s, early 80s, -hmm. way too late, (laughs) uh, is kind of what they're going to with, like... uh, uh, going through with LGBTQ rights at the moment, where they're like, they're really digging their heels in. They're yeah. trying to double down yeah. on it. And they're kind of having to come to terms with the fact that you, this is not good for business. Yeah. And you need to just maybe cut this out or shut up. But it's hard because they have 200 years of profits openly being uh, homophobic. Yeah. And so it's kind of hard to be like, we're the most true and always true and always best. <laughs> and we always say the right thing when... When you don't. When you so obviously don't.
1: <laughs> when you don't.
0: Um, so anyway, back to the Book of Mormon. They, they arrive in America, bad Native Americans, the Lamanites, the dark, <laughs> good Native Americans, white, Nephites. Yeah. There. Okay. And so thus ensues a 1,000-year a history of these white Jewish Native Americans which I, I just sounds like a Mel Brooks sketch. <laughs> it sounds like a lost scene from, like, Blazing Saddles. <laughs> um, anyway, so where in each prophet, uh, through this 1,000-year history, they write their own history on metal plates. And uh, this alleged record uh, prophesies of the birth of Christ. And during Jesus' you know, three-day disappearance after his death before he comes again in mm-hmm. the Bible, mm-hmm. those three days – Really, he went to America and he established another secret church uh, with his white Indians, the good ones. And so all of these records over this thousand years is finally compiled by the warrior prophet Mormon, who is a warrior prophet. Yes. Who actually Joseph becomes later in the story. He's also a warrior prophet. He also becomes Mm -hmm. a general prophet.
1: uh, (laughs) Robert. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> it does It does sound like a Robin Evans <laughs> episode. Um, so uh, this warrior prophet Mormon who in a secret vault buried in a hillside spends years preparing gold plates for their inevitable discovery by Joe Smith in over a thousand years. So this happens in like the 600s. So the, the book ends by being compiled by Mormon in about 600 AD so that Joe can find them eventually, you know, 1200 years later in the 1800s uh and he's doing it in this like magically sealed vault inside of a, a hill kind of tolkien-esque <laughs> he sounds like a dwarf um and you kind the way it's written you imagine mormon just surrounded by stacks and stacks of these golden plates engraved with all these historical records and he's basically summarizing and compiling them into one main narrative which is In most Mormon apologists account why there's one main narrative, because it's Mormon summarizing and compiling towards the end, which, ha, ha, ha. Listen to Joe's prophet voice, (laughs) and it's the (laughs) same voice. Um, So Mormon in his old age uh, gives these finalized gold plates to his also warrior prophet son, Moroni. uh, And following a massive final battle at the Hill Cumorah, where the dark-skinned Lamanites finally kill off the last of the righteous white Nephites, uh, which allegedly saw literally millions of casualties on both sides at the Hill Cumorah, uh, Moroni buries the record and dies sometime around 400 AD. Oh, this happens at 400. I said 600. I amend that. Uh, so he, Moroni dies around 400 AD as the last of the noble white Indians.
1: So there's no more.
0: Yeah. So Moroni or Mormon compiles all the, all the plates into one book. Mm. He gives the plates to Moroni who writes a brief like epilogue. He's like, I'm about to die and I'm the last of these white Native Americans. I'm the last of my people. I'm going to bury this record, I guess, at the same site as this giant battle that killed millions of people. I'm just going to dig through all the corpses. I'm going to make a magic <laughs> vault and I'm going to bury the plates here because <laughs> that sounds like a smart move. Mm hmm.
1: Well, maybe he's dying right there. He doesn't have time to go someplace else. He's just got to dig while he's dying. I I
0: guess. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this, this whole thing, this mess, is why there's a confusion regarding the Moroni Nephi instructing joseph uh-huh. um originally joseph said nephi which makes sense if most of the stuff in the hill Cumorah belonged to nephi like the the breastplate and the sword and all that stuff because uh-huh. it comes from those chapters in the book of mormon um and he started the narrative so it makes sense that from like a treasure digging perspective that nephi would be the one um but in terms of you know continuity and a more educated occult perspective <laughs> It obviously makes more sense that Moroni sealed uh, away the record because he was the last one with the book. Why yeah. would Nephi have the right. finished copy of the book? Yeah. Anyone who thought about that critically was like, why is Nephi talking to you about this? Right. Um, That's
1: like Bilbo starting the book and then Frodo finishing it. Mm-hmm. And then Bilbo goes and buries it.
0: Yeah. And you're like, but, but- at the end of the book, Bilbo sails <laughs> west. Like, how is Bilbo giving you the book? And he's like, oh, I met Frodo. Just like, kidding. But Frodo went on the same book boat. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's very much. It's like if you tried to sell token as reality, yeah. and very quickly it, it you're just uh 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 uh. uh excuse me.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Frodo Anyways. left a little section for Sam. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't. That's yeah, true, and that's what the Doctrine and Covenants is. It's <laughs> Sam's section of the Red Book. I don't mean to keep doing this. Uh, there's a really famous, uh, Lance Owens wrote a really fun paper that's comparing uh, Tolkien's Red Book to Young's Red Book to Joseph's Gold Book. And they're, the archetypes in all three are just like fucking striking. And clearly these guys were exploring an imaginal space, uh-huh. but it was an imaginal space. Yeah. And I think two of those guys recognized it. And yeah. <laughs> Joseph tried to sell the third one. <laughs> The, the third tried to sell it
1: probably could do the same thing with uh hubbard's if he didn't and have yes, like a
0: shit ton of short Hubbard stories did the same thing does he
1: have longer books or is his stuff just bunch of
0: short stories I think he has some longer books. Okay. I think like Battlefield Earth is pretty oh, long. Definitely not going to read any of it. I, so. I tried once. <laughs> Did you? Okay. One of the few books I've put down and been like, I'm never going to pick that up again. <laughs> there's some books where you put down and you're like, I'm not ready for this yet. Yeah, you're right. But yeah. there's, that was I've one definitely where I done like, that. never, never again. <laughs> um, so the Book of Mormon is a summarized compilation of alleged American history in the same style as the Bible. Uh, Not written in a 19th century vernacular, like I mentioned, but rather a 17th century one like the King James Bible that Joe learned to read with, remember? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) this is something he was very intimate with uh, or intimately familiar with. There are also a score of biographical uh, elements to Joe's Christian fan fiction. uh, But maybe we'll save that for another day. Uh, Like the character of Nephi is... Mm -hmm very clearly Joe's kind of idealized version of himself. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of like aut- autobiographical elements throughout the narrative where you're like, you're working through some stuff right Aww, now, I think. buddy. Little guy.
1: Aww.
0: Um, There's just too much to go into here, so we'll save that. But just be aware that it's aside from the vernacular and clearly Joe's, you know, prophet voice yeah. that it was written in, it also is like Tolkien and like Young. Uh, a sort of exploration of the imaginal realm that kind of explores your own Your own process, trauma yeah, de- yeah, you know. right. Um, you know, and like I've also said, there's also a incredibly science fiction and additionally fantastical dogma that emerged from Smith after the creation of the Book of Mormon. Uh, but similarly, I guess we'll save that for another episode. We'll, that'll probably be the next one where he kind of flushes out his Mormon cosmology mm-hmm. and we get alien gods and hollow earths and giant dark-skinned native americans that turn white and wow <laughs> um
1: i'm it, d- like trying to find jokes to like slip in here but it's just like yeah this is the...
0: oh I know, I know i can't say anything it's all <laughs> stuff that if you ever have those little uh, teenage boys show up at your door like this is this is an episode you should listen to or li- like listen to with them just yeah. be like explain what he's talking about to me <laughs> in your perspective please <laughs> um <laughs> So regardless, uh it's certainly a fantastical narrative, uh, for being alleged to be the most true and accurate book written by man, regardless. And in fact, it's also worth mentioning that the manuscript that Oliver Cowdery handed to E. B. Grandin, the owner of the Grandon Printing Presses that mm-hmm. originally published it, mm-hmm. uh was so thoroughly unpunctuated and full of spelling errors that Grandon and his printing uh yeah, you mentioned his typesetter. That. Yeah, he had trepidation over publishing it because right. it was <laughs> so riddled with errors. E.B. Grandin had to petition.
1: Whoopsies. Sorry. Uh,
0: and like we covered in last week's episode, uh, Martin, Harris, uh, Cowdery, and Hiram Smith uh, were petitioned by Grandin several times be- before they permitted him to edit and punctuate the Book of Mormon into the state it was originally published in 1830. Um, so, yeah. That being said, there have additionally been anywhere from about 12 to 20 major changes in content, depending on how you define major, um, or edits throughout the history of the Book of Mormon being printed. So for the, since 1830, 12 to 20 major edits have gone, gone by, along with hundreds of minor changes in wording and over 6,000 grammatical changes from the edition released in 1830 to the one being printed today. Uh, One of my favorite minor changes, like we kind of brushed over, being that past editions of the introduction of the Book of Mormon say that all of the people chronicled in the book were destroyed except the Lamanites and that they are the principal ancestors of the Native Americans. Uh, The new introduction reads much the same, but says that the Lamanites are among the ancestors of the Native Americans. Uh, This change was made in 2006 after it became abundantly clear through dna evidence that the native populations of the americas came from siberia <laughs> and eurasia from approximately uh, 20,000 to 10,000 bc uh, and that's the opposite side of the planet from a completely different genetic heritage and about 8 to 10,000 years off from the proposed mormon timeline
1: fucking science
0: fucking science I'm ruining
1: my stories um,
0: but the modern church, like Joe, just pivots among <laughs> among the American inhabitants. Uh, and again, we might cover this later, but much of the original uh, DNA, sw- like the genetic coding stuff that was funded mm-hmm. on like how to map DNA and mm-hmm. how to do all of this mm-hmm. was quietly funded by Mormons who were thinking that they were going to prove the Book of Mormon true. So a lot of the, I think a lot like, of religions quietly funded that
1: or not and not yes. a lot of them quietly did but, but there's like, so many studies from different points that they're trying to prove so it's done in a type of a way to it's, yeah, it's this is true like,
0: but mormons seem to have a true hard on for genealogy mm-hmm. and so like ancestry.com mm-hmm. was originally a mormon thing mm. and uh like the 23andme stuff i don't think that specific company, they're trying to
1: make sure they're not but the idea uh, of like mapping limonites? out <laughs> What? Are they trying to make sure they're not Lamanites?
0: <laughs> no, I think they were trying to prove that they, like... How w- pure am were I? part Native American. There's also, oh, they like, want the, to be. There's a weird fetishization of, like, being part Native American in Mormon culture for some reason. Even though, anyway. Really? That, we'll get into that later. Huh. But... I, the whole idea of like making a broad scale genetic map or to find out where cultures came from uh-huh. was a Mormon thing that was fun. Like millions of Mormon dollars went into that okay, um, because they thought they were going to prove this. And in fact, they proved the opposite. <laughs> um, so they quiet, quietly just like did that Homer gif where he like sinks back into the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Similarly, if all this stuff happened in the Americas, you would expect to find archaeological evidence for any of the stuff described in the yeah, Book of Mormon. Yeah. Um, Latter-day Saint, or Mormon, Thomas Stuart Ferguson was BYU's archaeology division, uh, the New World Archaeological Funding founder. Uh, he, This organization was financed by the church itself, and it and Ferguson were tasked by BYU and the church in the late 50s and 60s to find archaeological evidence to support the Book of Mormon. And this is what Ferguson wrote after 17 years of trying to dig up evidence for the Book of Mormon. Quote, You can't set the Book of Mormon geology down anywhere because it is fictional and will never meet the requirements of the dirt archaeology. I should say, what is in the ground will never conform to what is in the book, unquote. So this is like a Mormon saying this. He searched for almost 20 years and finally had to be like, you know what? This, this is fiction. This, this is not anything that can be backed up by real archaeological evidence. Um, Thomas Stewart. Ferguson. That's cool that he tried. He did, he did. What is perplexing is that he somehow remained a faithful member until his death. Despite his affirmations that the entire work of canonized LDS scripture is a work of fiction. That's
1: where I don't understand things. That's where where uh, they lose
0: me. (laughs) Given the book's creation via scrying through a hat with no physical inspiration at hand or like plates, uh, it should be no surprise that it is smattered with anachronistic discrepancies, which reveal the uneducated biases of a 19th century author. For anyone unaware, a, anachronism is a thing that doesn't belong in that time and place. So, for example, if you're filming a movie set in the 1920s, you get cars for the production that were used in the 1920s. Because, you know, if you're filming Downtown Abbey and a red Lamborghini Downton. pulls down, <laughs> excuse sorry, me, yeah, Downtown Abbey, yeah, thank you. and a red Lambo pulls up Fucking outside, Jesus. Um, the car would be anachronistic to the scene. Yeah. Um, so the Book of Mormon is full of anachronisms, <laughs> um, and I'm I'm going to pull this list from Jeremy Reynolds' amazing paper that is known as the Letter to a CES Director. Uh, CES is the Church Education System, and Jeremy Reynolds was a really clever uh, person in that system who wrote a letter to the director of that organization as like, hey. Here's all the problems I see with what we're teaching kids.
1: So this guy writes a letter to where? To what organization? To
0: a CES director. So like the church education system that Uh handles all of the propaganda, Mm -hmm. I would call it, Mm -hmm. but is really what like they teach in Sunday school Mm -hmm. to everyone. All
1: those cool pamphlets that you showed me? Yes.
0: Okay. (laughs) The people that organize that Uh um, is the church education system. Okay. And one of the guys that was involved with that, Jeremy Reynolds, finally like had a problem with teaching kids this. Um I can't remember if <laughs> he was like a student or if he was actually in the organization. I think he was a student and this was like his letter to his director who quietly just like told him to shut up and
1: Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. wonder how many letters he gets.
0: Um but this he's... is a very famous letter. It's like 80 pages and a lot oh. of the, the stuff that I'm pulling from today's episode is He wrote a book. It's, it's essentially a book. He wrote yeah. a small, it's a small book. book. Yeah. Um and all of these bullet pointed lists are from Jeremy's uh, paper. Wow. So this is just to name a few of the anachronisms. Uh, Anachronistic animals that are found in the Book of Mormon include horses, which were not uh, introduced to the Americas until the Spanish arrived. Mm -hmm. uh, Cattle, oxen, donkeys, goats, (laughs) wild goats, sheep, swine, and elephants. Mm. Uh,
1: Mm.
0: So horses and elephants in particular are described as beasts of war, uh, but both societies died out. In America, by the Jaredites Mm -hmm. in specific. Oh no! Um, And while there were species of horse and elephants that did exist at that time in the Americas, and like people were finding bones of them, so like again, this is Joe's way of like tying it into his fan fiction. Mm -hmm. um, They weren't reintroduced until the Spanish, so that's like the Mormon loophole for that argument. Is like, hey, there were no horses. To use in war during the, like, 200s A.D. Mm -hmm. in America, but you describe a giant battle with a bunch of cavalry. Anyway, uh, the honeybee, the bees that were in the giant wooden submarines? Yes, uh, The honeybee is not actually native to North America. Uh, It was introduced from Europe for honey production in the early 1600s. Um, subspecies were introduced from Italy in 1859 and later from Spain, Portugal, and elsewhere.
1: Yeah, but they came in the submarine.
0: (laughs) The Book of Mormon (laughs) says that the Jaredites, quote, did also carry with them, uh, Deseret, which by interpretation is a honeybee, and thus did, they did carry with them swarms of bees, unquote. Not only bees, but swarms of them um there are like honeybees in south america that produce honey and they're like native bees uh-huh. but it's a it's a wild honey it's totally different from the honey you think of in the store yeah and it's not like for mass production like they're talking about yeah um anyway plow agriculture uh, or like plowing mm-hmm. your fields mm-hmm. uh, and grains such as barley uh, wheat are also described uh, in the Book of Mormon, like the Native Americans were apparently like European farmers. Yeah. But there's no evidence for that.
1: No, nope. no, there's uh, not.
0: Next to that, uh, there's also a stark absence of foods that were known to the ancient Americans, such as like cocoa or lima beans or squash, potatoes, tomatoes, manioc, pluck, like all of the things that we know they ate uh-huh. aren't in the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. And all of the things that we know they didn't do
1: yeah. are. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh... Silk is another thing. They That's had in the silk. The Book of Mormon. Apparently, they had silk. Oh. Uh chariots. Uh, they had chariots. And, and you know, while the Americans, the Native Americans, knew of the wheel conceptually and they used them in like toys and uh, like we in weird applications that you wouldn't think of, mm-hmm. they didn't use them as a mode of transportation like a chariot.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: They also used a seven-day week, uh, which was not used by the Native Americans. Scimitars. Uh, which is an old world like two-handed steel blade um there are no like the native americans at no point until the spanish arrived had any concept of steel or yeah. like did not m- they did not mold metal into weapons right if they had spears it was made it was like stone or like right, obsidian, those obsidian or, yeah okay they didn't use steel weapons and Mm -hmm. throughout the book of mormon they talk about swords and like the closest thing they had to swords was i think it was called a mua it was basically what looked like a cricket bat Mm -hmm. that had little shards of obsidian um oh yeah yeah yeah. like notched into it yeah so it made like a it looked like a chainsaw blade on a handle it was gnarly as fuck badass yeah Um, (laughs) but that's like the closest thing they had to swords yeah Actually, coincidentally enough, uh, when horses first arrived by the Spaniards Uh uh, or with the Spaniards, the Native Americans that saw them were like, these are magic deer things that have armor on them. And they didn't know what quite they were. Uh And so that kind of helped mythicize the Spaniards a little bit. And it wasn't until one of the... one of the Mayan uh, resistance leaders uh-huh. chopped off a horse's head with a mu'alachtal, like with this big uh, obsidian sword thing. Yeah. He cut off one of their heads, one of the cavalry guys' uh, horse's head. Hmm. And then everyone was like, oh my God, they're flesh and blood. We can kill them. And then they just like, then they started killing cavalry because oh. they realized they could kill them. They could kill them. Kill um, them.
1: I hope they stop killing the horses. But I
0: digress. Okay. Uh, bellows, like bellows for a oh, blacksmith. Yeah. Yeah. Nephi apparently knew how to use bellows and describes them at length but mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. didn't mm-hmm. use bellows in mm-hmm. the americas um brass and iron mm-hmm. neither mm-hmm. of those things were they didn't smelt brass or iron <laughs> in the americas gold and silver currency they did not use gold or silver currency at, and, and no they use <laughs> gold but not as a currency See, right yeah um like this is swords young. again they, like a lot of swords there's a lot of swords and steel um Quote, and I did teach my people to build buildings and works in all manner of wood and iron and of copper and brass and of steel and of gold and of silver and of precious ores, which were in great abundance. Not only was steel not introduced to the Americas until the 1500s, but Nephi lived in 600 BCE, about four or five hundred years before steel production at all. (laughs) So the fact that Joe knew how to use, I mean, I'm sure it's because of his Matrix download. Yeah. That he knew how to make steel, but steel officially wasn't introduced to the world until the several world. hundred years after that his death. doesn't
1: clarify just not a to weird him. little anachronism not, yeah
0: <laughs> it's too bad we all don't have the matrix download so there's also nephite currency apparently the nephites used coin currency okay. which was not used by the natives again uh, the only coins discovered in america that predate the official columbian contact come from the vikings because they used coins but that's it um Solomon-style temples, so uh, the Temple of Solomon that we've talked about, the Wailing Wall, Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll get into that more later, uh, that was apparently built by demons. Um, Oh, yeah. The first thing Joe and his, like, maybe couple dozen refugees do when they show up to America is they build a giant fucking temple, which which took the Mormons, like, hundreds of skilled laborers, like, uh, over a year to do, and Nephi just does it with his matrix downloads and a couple of workers in like a couple of weeks where'd it go that's the question <laughs> uh, like we addressed with the archaeology is like if they built temples where are they because i mean we see a lot of temples that people did build <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of them go go to south america they're everywhere where's the solomon style temples because if they're the same temples that they were building in palestine that would be we we'd, we'd yeah. notice that
1: yeah um <sighs> Well, it <laughs> goes on. It goes on. Yeah. There's,
0: I'm, we're already like bordering on an hour, so I'll skip the rest of it. Um, essentially, after the narrative up to Moroni ends, mm-hmm. um, and we haven't got to it yet in the narrative episodes, but Joseph eventually spends thousands of dollars of church funds to buy a set of Egyptian mummies off of another charismatic con artist who kind of cons joe i love these it's one of those beautiful moments where a con artist cons joe and Mm. he spends way too much money on something he didn't need and you know when joe gets these mummies he used his magic translating powers to ascertain that wouldn't you know it the mummy that seemingly fell into his lap by the grace of god was none other than the prophet abraham himself what so the the patriarch of all abrahamic faiths islam Jew, uh, judaism and christianity just the, this mummy just dropped into my lap and he happens to be abraham and so joe translates in quotes the book of abraham which is a lost book from the bible which is an abraham's account of what happened when, with abraham oh gosh <sighs> uh, and this, if you don't know abraham is the guy that almost murdered his son because god needed to see how devoted he was uh that guy also contained with this mummy was a lost record of the biblical Joseph of Egypt. Again, Joseph, Technical or Dreamcoat. And uh, if you flip back uh, to the back of a Book of Mormon that contains the Pearl of Great Price, so most copies of the Book of Mormon today, yeah. um, I'll, there's a lot of Mormon gibberish, but bear with me. Uh, the Mormons are still printing an alleged facsimile of the papyri that Joseph found with this mummy. Uh, what he said was the Book of Abraham. <laughs> so he... You can find a facsimile of what apparently was on these books of Abraham still in print today. Being that the book of Abraham, you know, facsimile exists, it is the only surviving part of the book of Mormon scripture and the reformed Egyptian that can now be studied by Egyptologists who can verify Joseph's translation. You know, that makes, if he was translating this from reformed Egyptian, modern Egyptologists should be able to verify that, uh, especially since we have this facsimile. But as it turns out, (laughs) according to the people that can actually read Egyptian hieroglyphs, the entire book of Abraham is a fabrication. Uh, Despite Joe's claims that the record was written by Abraham by his own hand upon papyrus, scholars have found that the original papyrus Joseph translated and have uh, dated it to about the first century CE, uh, nearly 2,000 years after Abraham could have written it if he did exist. Egyptologists have found the source material for the Book of Abraham to be nothing more than a common Egyptian funerary text for a deceased man named Hor in the first century CE. In other words, it was a common breathing permit that the Egyptians buried with almost all of their dead, and it just gave you permission to breathe in the afterlife. (laughs) So it was... Like They they buried this with everyone. It's just a common text. Um, It has absolutely nothing to do with Abraham or anything Joseph claimed in his translation of the Book of Abraham. And the fact that they're still printing this is just hilarious to me. Like, people have torn this apart and you're still printing this in your books. Uh, Mm. Furthermore, whereas Joe translated the Book of Mormon through occult methods of scrying and without the gold plates present... Joseph allegedly translated the Book of Abraham like a qualified linguist would, simply with the aid of divine inspiration rather than, you know, years of academic study. And given that this was Joe's first attempt at translating any kind of Egyptian without the use of occult uh, ceremonial operations, and he produced another work of Christian fan fiction, his only skills appear to be that of a con artist. He just, like like L. Ron Hubbard, Mm -hmm. you sat this guy down Mm -hmm. and he was telling you it was all real, but it was, he's just a really inventive, imaginative, and intelligent guy. Um, not to say a good guy. Yeah. Just those were his strengths, and he used them. That is not the only damning evidence in the Book of Abraham, however. Quote, and this is directly from Jeremy Reynolds' paper. Uh, the Book of Abraham also teaches a Newtonian view of the universe its Newtonian astronomy concepts, mechanics, and models of the universe have been discredited in the 20th century by Einstein and virtually every physicist since. What we find in Abraham 3 and the official scriptures of the LDS Church regarding science reflects a strictly Newtonian world concept. The Catholic Church's Ptolemaic cosmology was displaced by a new... Copernican and Newtonian world model. Just as the 19th century canonized Newtonian worldview was challenged by Einstein's 20th century science, what? Keith norman Huh? What do you? Say? Oh, so what he's saying here is like the the cosmology that comes out in the Book of Abraham, mm-hmm. which we'll largely be discussing in the next episode. Mm-hmm. So like God living on this planet, Kolob, and sending out like alien gods to do his bit. Anyway, all of that comes out of the book of Abraham and the cosmology that, that Joseph builds reflects what you would expect from a 19th century farm boy, Newtonian science, which was then discredited by Einstein and his, uh, and basically every physicist since. So like much in the same way, Copernicus and Aristotle were outdated by like Newton and stuff. And Newton was outdated by Einstein. Mm -hmm. Physics evolved, mm-hmm. and as it evolved, Joe's cosmology in Mormon um, doctrine mm-hmm. is completely outdated, and that's not how <laughs> anything works okay. cosmologically. I see. Okay. Um. Anyway, I'll just. I'll fit it. That's essentially what that whole quote was saying. Okay. Uh, just didn't know the
1: terminology. <laughs> at I get all. so
0: deep into it, and I forget that I'm I'm reading things that need. Yeah, to i didn't know it. I'd be accessible. Thank you. <clears throat> so once more, uh, in my opinion, the only difference between the canonized Mormon scripture and like the Narnia series is that one is not purporting to be a work of nonfiction. And no one is really meant to buy that the allegorical Jesus lion thing is a real thing. Um, find whatever you may out of either text, but let's stop pretending that the Book of Mormon is full of anything but the drug-fueled philosophy of a 19th century occultist farm boy. Woo. Woo, woo. Um, imagine if you will like for just a moment that a close friend of yours said that they were going to convert to elfism and they were just like i believe myself to be a descendant of Florian elves and i would like you to now refer to me by my sylphan name of alarath i can't do anything with all of you on sundays anymore because i have to go sing praises to the creator god that lives in the star and baptize the dead I also have to pay 10% of my income to that old white man. And I get this magic set of underwear. (laughs) It sounds really weird when you replace Mormonism with Elfism, but they, that's literally what, (laughs) why, why do they get to do this and claim it's a religion is insane to me or why people who will laugh at Scientology don't laugh at Mormonism. Um, So that's where I find myself uh, with this material and my Mormon family. I just don't really understand their chosen lifestyle or why they've modeled their lives around such fantastical fiction. It's like my family lives like we're all Florian elves. And please don't talk about how we're not because it makes us (laughs) uncomfortable. Just live in our fantasy when you're around us so that we can be okay. I mean, to some extent. Literally everyone does that. Everyone does that to some extent, but we m-
1: do. The fact that Mormons can do it But I we don't also fund a massive organization
0: that that try to limits the rights of others? Yes, yes. exactly. And
1: that's, that's that's my big old problem. Yeah. Also, the person like I don't listen to any one person, but like my, that one person isn't like a child, you know, pedophile, you know, blah blah. blah, blah. Yeah. So
0: I, I, I get it, but that's yeah. why I took the approach I did today. I hmm. just wanted to like, this is what's in the book. When you take a look at like what's actually in it, it appears very different yeah. and it contextualizes perhaps what some of your Mormon friends and family mm-hmm. are actually believing and want you to quietly ignore that yeah. they believe. Yeah.
1: Well, and like my mom
0: I feel like Mormon there would be interventions and... with people if they were like, I'm an elf now. <laughs>
1: mm, i'm sure there's people that def i mean we've seen shows where like people like go through major transformations to make themselves a cat or to, to give I'm elf ears and in stuff terms like terms
0: of like larping versus it's like larping on as a hobby is okay but larping in terms of like making your friends and family Treat you like your LARPing character <laughs> is, but, but a little people.
1: Do- I mean, people do. I'm sure do that.
0: I'm sure they do. I just um, maybe I'm being a prick. And-
1: people definitely do it. I just think uh, the where the lawn lawn where the line should be drawn is if it's hurting anybody else.
0: That's where I draw it, yeah. and it, and this organization in particular is clearly hurting right. people. I, and, I, um, yeah. and I do have friends that are like into LARPing and stuff and i've i support that and as long again as long as it's like a healthy activity that's not hurting anybody mm-hmm. specifically you the practitioner mm-hmm. and i think kind of like maybe yeah. living in delusion like that is probably doing some damage um that's that's where i'm coming from maybe not yeah. not trying to be a prick so much as just like i don't think this is as healthy as we're all pretending it is um especially when you're quietly funding things that are like and blatantly homophobic or yeah. and racist or right that's when we should all maybe collectively be like, Hey, what you're believing is you can keep believing it, but you can't keep funding tithe money to this. Yeah. Please.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, you know what? Okay. So like you're changing what people call you or how you dress or like a lot of exterior things and maybe certain lifestyle practices that you do like, okay, so you do more pagan rituals and stuff like that, which, you know, we obviously do, but that's all like kind of right there for you for anyone close to them to see um it's not it's you're presenting yourself and and that in uh an honest way whereas and i you know uh what's the show signed not seinfeld what's the show with cartman and
0: oh ah, south park
1: south park like they hit Mormonism pretty hard with the fact that they like try to act like this really well put together family and we like play games. And like, it's that nuclear family, everything's perfect nonsense, uh, which is false.
0: And it's kind of like Stepford wives. Right. Exactly.
1: And that like that where it's just like, we're just tricking people like being very fault Like it just, being false <laughs> to in front of people pretending to be really nice and then going behind their backs and just putting everyone down that's another thing that I really don't like about religion and Christianity and stuff like that is they just they act like oh we're gonna help all of you but then they go in that big room all together and they say a bunch of horrible things about everyone yeah, and yeah. how they're so much better and we have to feel bad for all these horrible sinners like that's that is some fucked up thinking yeah yeah Um, so shit like that is Mm -hmm. like that's where it's wrong that's where it's wrong if you're gonna run around in a cape which I have done um
0: (laughs) or or maybe more poignantly a white savior Mm. you're just rolling around as literally a white savior Mm -hmm. in a cape Mm -hmm. which they often do
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's not cool to me but if you want to just like run around in a cape and just like be in your this world that you want to create cool fine like that's fine i if you're helping people or if you're not helping people it's like that it, but i forgot what my point was really why
0: <laughs> sorry randy 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 i do it all the time at least myself
1: but i don't remember there was a point um you were saying something
0: uh white jesus white savior well there literally is a white savior and well that kind of leads into the tie up we got to get out of here um white savior there is a, literally a white savior in the book of mormon on top of all the white savior bullshit they try and do and like i said we've had to save it for its own episodes so i think mm-hmm. either i'm not i think we'll do the hollow earth next episode yeah Thanks, <laughs> thanks for listening guys bye